1: Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast, and I'd like to welcome our guest today, uh, Pedro de Fonseca, the CEO of Fonseca Wines, the largest red wine producer in Portugal. Welcome, Pedro. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Michael and Laura. Thanks, Pedro. And Pedro, where, where are you dialing in from? Portugal? Somewhere else? I'm dialing in right now from
2: Chengdu, China. We have actually um, an office out here to run our East Asian operations. So we have uh, an office in Chengdu and we actually have offices also in actually all four continents, but we actually have a warehouse also in China for distribution in Southeast Asia.
1: Wow, that's exciting. I lived in Chengdu very briefly, so I'm jealous you get to have hot pot tonight. Uh, every night. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. So so let's dive right in. I'm I'm excited to find out you're you're super young and I'm curious how did you get to run a family-owned business that's dating back to the mid 18th century? Tell us about the background of the company.
2: Oof. Um all I can say is I I tried to run away from it as far as I could uh, to be honest, with you. it's not something I looked for. And um, it's something I try to avoid. I grew up with my grandfather, you see, Mr. Manuel. And I grew up with him on the farm, essentially. We live, we're close-knit community. And back in the day, even though right now we mostly do the wines, back in the day, you need to understand that the farms, they provided everything, right? So yes, they had the wine component, but we also had you know vegetables and fruits and other kinds of livestock. Um, and we traded and bartered amongst other neighbors. And my grandfather, Mr. Manuel, he was a tall man. He wasn't uh, incredibly formally educated, but he was very respected in the community. And he started a different business with the family. And, um, And the business went really bad and went really sour. And I saw how great intentions and hard work and great dedication sometimes only get you so far. And I saw when a family-run business collapses, it tends to ruin the whole family. So I survived through the scars of that. And when I was 18, I decided to, uh, to leave. So I went to study in Canada. I stayed in Toronto studying business management. And after I graduated, I stayed on working and actually in a family-owned business in real estate. Uh, We started out uh, in um, with one location. By the time I left, we had nine offices, over 400 staff and close to 1 billion in revenue. Then I I did my master's at Harvard and I ended up working also in a family-owned business in China. If you can imagine, there are quite a number of large family-owned businesses. Um, Some of them you may know, Nike, for example, uh, Ford and BMW, Walmart and Berkshire Hathaway. They're all family-run operations. And um, when I was in China, I got a phone call that nobody wants to get from my mom, essentially saying that my dad uh, was diagnosed with advanced stage Alzheimer's and I'd been away from Portugal for too long and maybe it was time to get back. So that's kind of when I decided to move back to Portugal and I took over the family business and for the last few years, we've been the largest exporter of Dora wines in the world. And just last week, one of our wines won best Portuguese red wine in the world, actually. So wow. we're very happy about that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's that's team effort.
0: That is amazing, Pedro. Gosh, I mean, you've had so many different experiences in family run businesses. I mean, that's just not even just with your actual family, um, which is fascinating. And to your point, there are so many companies that are family run, right? And so I'm curious, what do you think are some of the most common mistakes you've experienced or seen in family run businesses?
2: Yeah. Um, I think family-run businesses, they account globally for about 80% of all the businesses. I think in the US it's close to 65% and they employ over hundred million people just in the US alone. So I think uh, family-owned businesses can start out really small, but they can also get really big and very large like the examples of Dell Technologies or Berkshire Hathaway or even Walmart, for example. But I think from my experience, especially the longest ones I've seen. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine and she told me the hard part is the first 200 years. After the first 200 years, (laughs) it's easy sailing after the first 200 years. The first 200 years are a little bit more tricky. Um, I think if I could think about the common mistakes I see, I think the first one is clearly not having a succession plan. So, not having a clearly defined succession plan. So when I was working in my first uh, company in Canada in real estate, which was also a family-run business, when I got to the executive vice president role, there was no clear definition as where you could go next. And there were other family members in there. So there was no succession planning. You don't know where to go. So it gets it draws in a lot of negativity. So I think it's good to have clear succession planning. You know, um, I think one of the other main challenges I've seen and obstacles is just hiring family members indiscriminately. So um, because this is my kid or my sibling's kid or this is a spouse uh, that we need to find jobs for them, I think that really can serve as a demotivator for the existing workforce. Um, It can also draw in some conflict that, you know, can personal conflict really stay away from the business conflict? So if you have an argument with your spouse and then you come into work, you know, how's that gonna play on? Um, And I think the other big mistake is assuming that the business runs in the family. So just because it's a family business, if you want to keep it going at some point in time, there may be a better CEO, there may be a better management team. And you can then this generation can maybe just step aside and let someone else take over who's more qualified to take over. you know So I think these are the three main common mistakes I see being played out over and over again on, on family-run
0: businesses. That's what's hard about them, right? Is they're, they're deeply personal because of those relationships. And so all, all of those that you just described to me feel like what makes them super complicated is because of the connection. Um, And you know, sometimes you can think about the pros of having that connection for sure. The loyalty, the commitment that people have, but boy, it makes it complicated. And especially if you're in a family run business and you're not part of the family that like you were just describing. So fascinating. You,
1: it's, it is it yeah. is interesting pager just how how complicated the web gets when you add the family members in there. And I'm curious about motivating and incentivizing current workers those that are not family members as well as family members to create this happy workplace and i'm curious what do you do for the non-family members to incentivize them and do you do anything different for family members and how does that complicated algorithm work out so it gets really messy, and uh, I think that's one of the good
2: things and one of the bad things about you know um, family-run businesses, right? So if you run a family-run business, and let's say it's you and your brother, um, or you and your spouse, and you need to work overtime because you have a client who placed an order, or there's a service you need to do, and you need to work Saturdays, Sundays. Like, Their chances are they're not going to come knock on your door on Monday and say, look, you know, what's my overtime compensation or what's my overtime pay um so you get to there's a sense of understanding what the mission what the values are for the family members sometimes non family members obviously they're general employees but i think there are some clear rules that you can apply that really work really really well but it stems from the previous point as well which is you need to have you know clearly defined roles and you need to have you know, um, not hire family members indiscriminately and really try to put the best people in in the best roles. The way I look at uh, motivating and incentivizing workers comes from my personal strategy and my personal philosophies, first things first, which you need to pay people well, you know, so that goes, uh, that goes without saying, but it also goes without saying that instead of or in addition to just paying people well you should think about you know what other benefits and incentives can you provide people so in our company for example we don't have um we don't have days that you can take off per year so we have unlimited vacation days not only do we have unlimited vacation days we will double pay you every time you go on vacation so let's say you go on vacation for a week i'll pay you double Right, to incentivize people to take that time off, so that's uh, something we do for everybody, and we also do cash incentives. Uh, so if the business does well, let's say there's big orders. So when I when I first took over the family business, I came into a very North American mindset, and I remember we had a big order from a client, and I said, guys, we have to work Saturday, Sunday holiday, um, and I will definitely you know compensate you extra you know, per amount of hour, and surprise, surprise, nobody wanted to come to work. Like, no, no, Nobody wanted to do it. So like, um, I was getting the culture wrong. And then uh, after some time I, I thought about it and the right approach became, look guys, we have the client order and we need to fulfill this order for our client because our company depends on it and you have to come out and help out. And when you say it like that, when you reframe it from you need to come to work and I'll pay you extra as opposed to, look, you'll come and help out and there'll be a cash incentive or there'll be a bonus for extra performance, then people just really step up and they come in and they really help out. So, so it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a cultural shift. So you also, as as a CEO, when you take over for the, as a new generation you have to be mindful to be respectful of all the cultural practices that were already in place before you took over, and you have to be mindful of that. So you just can't come in and you know and 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 change everything. So I learned that the the the, the hard way, and um, so now I look at companies and I look at my team the way I look at a, at a at a fishbowl. If things aren't well, if you have a fish who's sick or unfortunately have a fish who dies, um, you're not going to blame that particular fish, right? You can look at the water. You can look at the pH. You can look at the acidity. You're going to look if there's enough food. And that's how I like to look at my company. So we have multiple teams. We have teams at the winery, teams in sales, teams in marketing. We sell in over 30 countries. We have offices in four continents. We have a usually diverse multicultural teams. So we have offices in Southeast Asia and North America and Eastern Europe and in and, and, and South America. So how to coordinate the work with all those teams, I like to think of them as the fishbowl approach where we make sure that the environment is as best as it can be and we let people um, step up.
1: It's really fascinating that you are you're practically managing the United Nations with you being so global and having to get the culture right in each country. And I'm curious because I know our viewers are going to be like, what, you pay people double to go on vacation. So there's the obvious, is everyone on vacation? And I'm curious, what's the impact of that been? Like how have people taken more vacation, less vacation? They like it? Like what's the impact of that policy been in your experience? you're gonna be surprised or perhaps not surprised
2: that people end up taking less vacation. So when you, <laughs> I think there is, um, I think there's this, I think uh, at least from my experience in North America, it's like there's this fear of, you know, you have, you're entitled to this vacation. If you don't take it, you feel that you you missed out on on, on something you had, that you no longer have, right? So if you didn't take it, then you can't use it next year. So you you feel that you missed out on something, but here you can just take it whenever you want. So uh, in fact, because people don't take that much vacation, we have to close the company now. In August, we actually shut down for a week or two weeks. And in the last week of December, we actually, we we shut down to send people home, you know? So they don't want to go home, (laughs) like go home.
0: Take a holiday, jeez! Stop calling me. What it seems to me, though, Pedro, is that people are connected to a, bit, a higher meaning, right? Like they have, they feel a sense of purpose in your organization, and that's what when you were talking about that shift you had to make from really focusing on pay versus you matter, I need you, this is important. Um, I could see why people would want to keep working, right? This is something that matters to them. It's something that creates a sense of purpose in their life. And that's pretty cool. I mean, we all want that, right? We all are definitely seeking that. So that's really cool. Um, So the fishbowl idea, I love that so much. I, I focus a lot on culture and I think fishbowl is such a nice easy way to describe like all of these things that need to be in place in order for people to thrive, to not only stay alive, but to thrive. Right. Um, so I was curious, can you share, are there any other strategies on top of this idea of the conditions and, you know, the fishbowl, any other strategies on how to run a successful family business?
2: Yeah. Um, so the fishbowl idea is good uh, because I think it's, um, it applies across all our teams. So not just um, in Asia, but also uh, the winery team and, you know, the, the marketing team. So that, that works, that works out really well, but I think there's some other really great strategies that you, you can implement and that I've seen and I've experienced as being, um, I would say like quite successful. I think the first one is to stay true to the vision of the company. Right? Like uh, stay true to the founders' vision. So our vision is always was always to try and you know uh, make really great wine. That's kind of how it started. But then it, it, it evolved gently into you know making sure our wines were known outside of Portugal. And it evolved even more gently to now a more broader vision, which is to make Portugal well known. As a great wine-producing country, so we've decided to adopt a larger vision for, but it's still staying true to the original purpose and the original vision of the company. And I think one of the mistakes, also some companies do, is we're very good at communicating this to outside stakeholders, but sometimes we fail to communicate this to our own employees. You know, like what's what are we trying to achieve here? Because sometimes. Um, We all want to be moving towards the same direction, but it's important that we know what that direction is and what the purpose is. So we have to stay true to our vision. I remember once I got a phone call from a client in in the US, actually, a big supermarket chain, and they wanted us to do um, an RDT. And an RDT is a ready-to-drink product. So they they become incredibly popular. You know, they're like these these spiked seltzers. So they wanted us to do like a, sangria or a port and tonic, very traditional Portuguese kind of like drink cocktail that we put in a can. Um, and then we start together with our marketing team and our production team. And then we, then we always look at new products like, okay, do they align with our vision, right? And if they align with our vision, then we try to move forward. But if they don't align with our vision, just because there's a market and we can do it, It doesn't necessarily mean we're gonna go for it. If you don't go for something, then you don't need to worry that a door is gonna be closed because you just open up an opportunity to do something else and opportunities are always coming. So it's important to stay true to the vision and communicate that to your team. Um, I also think it's really great practice to listen to the next generation. So oftentimes, and I remember that specifically with my grandfather, is because we're older sometimes we feel like we know better but we forget this the next generation that's going to take over the business so we should really be mindful and you know we should really listen to them um because they're the ones who are going to be here to step up and we should involve them in the decision making process not just totally exclude them from what is the future of the company so i think that's uh that's a mistake. Um, and I think a really great practice is to really listen in to the next generation. And the final, I think, great practice is to really embrace being a family-run business. I think a lot of companies run away from saying they're a family-run business because I think they're passed on damage, perhaps that they're a smaller business. Um, but I, I think of companies like um, may sound cliche, but, you know, Google started as a very small business and Microsoft started as a very small business. And certainly there's some family run businesses which are huge now, like Walmart or Nike uh, or, or, or Home Depot. Um, so I think it's okay to embrace being a family run business. I think it's good. I think people want to know that on the other side, there's a family. And uh, in, in our wines in particular, in all the back labels, we put the mention that, you know, from our family to yours. So I I think it's important to embrace being a family-run business. Um, So I think those are really great strategies that other companies can follow on.
0: That's awesome, Pedro. Those are so good. Um, Curious how you think about or even talk with your employees about culture, like what you really value, um, what your business thinks is important. Um, so how do you talk with them about it? Sometimes some companies are really structured about that and some companies are more informal about that, but I bet you have some things that that you value and you want the rest of your employees to value.
2: Yeah, so with regards to culture, I think it's really context dependent. You see, some countries already have a very strong um, culture. And, um, And some countries are more loose in terms of what is expected from them. So I would say Portugal is somewhat in the middle. We don't have a huge hierarchy, right? Um, But obviously, we come from a traditional wine company. So we're more traditional, um, top down approach, I I would say. the way I talk with my people is, and I want to go back to my approach of the fishbowl, is they all work in separate teams. So, so we have a winery team, we have sales team, we have marketing team, and they all work um, separate, independently. So I try to run them individually. And instead of telling them what I want to pass on, I try to spend more time listening to them than I talk back to them. You know, so it's a lot of listening. And I like to, talk to them and I think you should always touch your people before you touch your work, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to listen to them because they are the years on the ground and just try to create a really great positive environment that they can thrive on. That's awesome. I think everybody needs to work and um, everybody has responsibilities of some level. So I think it's great if we can create a work environment that people really wanna go to work on Monday. (laughs)
1: Me too. <laughs> That's great. It reminds me when we interviewed the CEO of Aston Martin and uh, Julio Smithers, who runs the best place to work in Mexico. They both do what you just said: is that they they talk to the people first. You know, in the morning, like how are you? And they they genuinely really appreciate um, their workers, and they end up know what's go- They end up knowing what's going on in the company. You know, by ten a.m before anybody else does, because they're talking to the people on the ground. So I think so I that's think. A really interesting uh, policy and people appreciate being appreciated. Um, what I wanna move into for our last question is to flip the show on us. And I'm curious if there is a current happy at work challenge you're having now where we might be able to offer a helpful suggestion. Any challenge going on?
2: Yeah, there's a few challenges going on like in any company, but I have one that's particularly pressing and I can't come up with a solution with my, um, with my board. And the problem is, so during the pandemic, um, so 2019, we were mandated by governments like most governments to implement as best as we could work from home policies to make sure people kept safe. Now, a lot of our team in sales and marketing and HR are younger generation, uh, recent grads, uh, 20 to 30s. So now that we are in a post-pandemic phase, they are reluctant to come back to the office. And they're actually quite efficient working from home in a hybrid system. But on the other hand, I have the people at the winery who need to be there at the winery every day. So we're talking about the engineers at the bottling line. We're talking about the technicians. We're talking about the winemaking team. Uh, we're talking about the wine, the, the people who work actually at the winery um, and they feel that it's not fair because they can't work from home and they would love to work from home. And the people who do work from home, they, they think, well, I'm very efficient. I'm more effective at home. Uh, gas prices went up. Um, we're still on a hybrid system. I'm more effective, more creative. I work better at home, and those two, three days off, and then I have. So it's 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 a toss between you know the, the 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 engineers have to be there on the ground every day, and how how do you balance you know well, I'm looking at, for example, I, I was, we all know that uh, Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter. And I know Twitter employees all work from home, but I think Elon Musk last week said all Tesla's employees need to work from the office at least 40 hours a week. So I think you see some companies saying, yeah, you stay at home and you work from home, and you see some companies saying you need to come into the office, but in our company, you know, I want to retain the talent that I hired during the pandemic. I don't want to lose them. And I'm afraid if I tell them that they need to be in the office every day, I'm going to lose some of them, which would be really unfortunate. So what would you do?
1: Uh, I have a few thoughts. Uh, Laura, did you want to start? I'm I'm scribbling like crazy, but Laura, do do you want to start? I know.
0: (laughs) So first, I'm just glad that you're thinking about it and you're talking to people about it and you didn't just come out and say, no this is the way it has to be right because acknowledging what we've all been through over the last few years and how hard it is and that people are in all different places and transitioning to you know whatever's coming next in different ways right so that's i think really good that you're trying to think it through trying to do the right thing listening so i think where i would might go a suggestion and you you've probably thought about this but it's it's the why you know, helping people really understand the why. It's not that I need you to be here in the office because I want you to be productive. That's not the why you just described, right? The why is because you wanna have a unified company And at this point, you're kind of, I would imagine, worried that you're creating two companies, right? The one that's here and one that's there, and they're doing separate things, and they're not coming together. And so how do you get people to see the why and the value of us coming together and being together and feeling that connection? So the kind of heavy focus and starting to focus on the why and helping people see that over time, that would be my first my first kind of um, recommendation. And then I think another thing to, to kind of think about is that doesn't have to be, if you're solving for this unified company and people coming together, that doesn't have to be that it's all or nothing, right? It could be some sort of modified approach where, hey, you are encouraging people to come in a couple times a week or a few times a month, but you don't dictate necessarily exactly when that has to be and what that looks like for now right, as a way of thinking about transitioning. And then another thing to do, and I think it sounds like you do this so well, is, you know, really listening to your employees, talking to them about it, you know, just putting this, this problem that you just said to me, uh, to us, in front of them, and asking them what their ideas are, what what suggestions you have, they, they would have for you to improve this. and And again, getting real clear on the problem you're trying to solve, right, that it's that you value this company as a unified place, right? A place where we're all doing this thing together. So those are a couple of things that come to my mind. Michael, you want to jump on?
1: Sure. I, I only have four things that come to mind, so I'll just I'll rattle down. Uh, the first one that pops up is uh, I ran into this situation when I owned a, a money management firm about fifteen years ago, and. I was doing a four day work week or a three day weekend and my traders uh, and everyone was a trader in my company. uh, They were getting resentful that I was having the three day weekend. And so I heard those grumblings and I said, well, what, what do you want? And they said, well, we want what you have a four day work week. And this is before it was ever popular. And what I ended up saying was if you can get coverage, so if the Fidelity Trader is going to be out on Friday, you need to get someone who's going to trade that account. As long as there's no errors and all the clients are taken care of, I'm fine with it. And magic happened. Everyone cross-trained each other. So it was basically getting the staff doubled. So if I ever had like someone that got sick and was out, uh, they were covered. But the, the motivation and the morale went up. And basically, it's, it's it's what Laura is saying. That so you could go to these people that have to work at the winery and say, "I hear you. I understand what you're saying. What do you suggest?" And the way the four day work week has worked, for, where the studies show like how it's effective, and basically, uh, it is helpful. Like you know, about five percent extra productivity. Uh, it doesn't go backwards. It stays neutral to up a little bit. And basically it's being paid for five days, but you work for four and you don't stuff in 40 hours into those four days. And basically what happens is productivity stays the same because the goof off time goes away. People are more like it's it's a head down atmosphere. That's one thing to consider depending on how your production goes, maybe there would be a call for hiring new people on staff that again could get that cross training. That's one thought. The second one is is it fair to the workers who are doing really two different things to keep comparing and the grass always looks greener and a lot of these remote workers feel lonely and disconnected that they're not going to be getting opportunities so i might share with them that hey you know I i know it sounds great that you're working from home but there's some downside to that, and there's some upside to being uh, here, you know, on site with with your own new family that that's working here at the organization. The third one is what Julio Smithers did, and he was running basically the DHL of Mexico, and that was the number one place to work in Mexico. Uh, he's had one percent uh, attrition, ninety nine percent retention. When he wanted to get people back in the office they all came back it did help that the wi-fi is not so great in mexico he said but what he did and which i think is important you're already doing this is he didn't dictate what to do he said if you want to come back to the office you could decide whether you want to stay at home or come back to the office but if you come back to the office we're going to have these really great parties And you can't bring your spouse. So it ended up being like this big independent party. And people came back because they were lonely and they wanted the community. And the last one is really uh, mirroring what Laura had said, that that ask the people who are feeling somewhat discontent or jealous or envious, what would you propose? You know, we have our mission. We, We know what the job is. I want you to be happy. What would work for you? Make me a proposal. And... Give me two or three. Let's see. We'll try it out for a day or two, or we'll give it a shot. But but giving them the agency to have that creativity uh, and see what they say. And I'm curious if this whole data dump <laughs> that Lauren and I just did, if any of this resonates with you.
2: No, I think those are those are great ideas. And as you can imagine, we've uh, we've thought about um, a few of those. Uh, we haven't considered all of your all of your ideas so I really appreciate your feedback I'm definitely going to take this back take this back to my team and uh hopefully on a follow-up podcast I'll let you know what
0: happened that'd be amazing um Pedro just one I just want to throw one idea out there I think it was Hyatt um that had this was before the pandemic um but I think that they were having kind of um feedback from a lot of housekeepers that they never got to take time off they couldn't you know figure out how to have um a little flexibility in their schedules when a kid needed to be picked up early from school and they ended up creating an app or I don't know exactly how they developed it but an app so that all of the housekeepers could come up with their own schedule and fill in for each other and it was kind of to Michael's kind of cross training idea they figured it all out and they felt so much more flexibility and so much more empowerment around I have a say in this. I have some, you know, agency to be able to figure out what my work looks like, and that was so different from what they'd ever experienced. It really did a lot for them. So, just there's a lot of possibilities when you get people's perspectives of the people who are facing this, right? Who are experiencing it.
1: And you know, what's, uh, my final thought on this, Pedro. Uh, the word that's popping up for me is appreciation. And I think if the people that are at the winery that have to be there felt that they were really appreciated, that that might be really helpful. And if some of these remote workers like all came to the winery, threw them a huge party, and were like, we appreciate you. Without you, we have nothing to market. Without you, we have nothing to sell. You are the core of what we are, and we appreciate you every day, even if we don't see you every day. I think something a lot, appreciation goes a million miles with people and you may not have to give them raises, but, but making people feel like they're valued um, is really, I think it's really undervalued that, that people don't use that enough, but appreciating humans really, it's very important. So I, I hope some of these thoughts are, are gonna be helpful to you. No,
2: the feedback's great. I really appreciate it. Thank you for flipping the show back on you guys.
1: Thank you for the time. I know that it's it's midnight in Chengdu, so thank you so much for, for doing this at the late hour. We really appreciate yeah. your insights and we're, we'd be excited to have you on the show again in maybe six months and see how things have turned out for you.
0: Yes.
2: Thank you very much. It's really great. It's been my pleasure to be on the show and uh, we will definitely be
1: keeping in touch. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin
0: at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.